Welcome to a bonus series on the Life Giver Podcast. Made possible by the USO, these bonus episodes are from a monthly series called You're Leaving Again, where the USO is following Matt and I during our deployment, and we are sharing our authentic story with you. Whether you're going through your own deployment, our geo-batching, on an unaccompanied tour, or maybe getting ready to, this series aims to be the first of its kind. Real life, gritty, but resourceful content aimed to help you keep your marriage and family strong while you're apart. So whether you're a military spouse or a service member, this series is for you. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, or head outside for a walk and listen in as Matt and I share what we are learning apart with you. Hi, everybody. So, um, so I don't want to say excited to get today's topic because I know it's not an easy topic for us to cover, but I'm so glad that you guys are here. And my name is Corey and he's over this way. No, this way. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on that side. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So hi to my amazing husband, Matt. This is our what fifth month of the deployment. So we're going to give you a little bit of an update here in just a second. Do you want to give your little caveat that you always start with? Um, Yeah. So uh, I guess I should have read it. Um, Nothing that I am sharing or talking about uh, reflects anything on the, actually you talk, I'm going to, I'm going to look it back <laughs> up. And make sure. it up. All right. So um, we are so excited that you guys are joining us from all over the place. So I saw Italy and South Dakota and, and Pennsylvania and Washington and Hawaii and like think Florida's in here and Maryland. And it's just so awesome that our community is just global. And no matter where you are, that there is that feeling of camaraderie and connection and community. And the longer that we are in the military, the more I'm so thankful that there are those of you out there that understand this lifestyle. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to partner with the USO to allow them to follow us during our deployment. And so each month we've been um, touching on various topics, some topics very timely with our deployment. So we have covered what it's like to say goodbye and why there's so much tension before you go. We've covered things like how do you rip the bandaid and, and put your, um, mind on your mission, whatever that mission is, whether you're the service member that's deployed or TDY or on an accompanying tour, or if you're the spouse at home that really is trying to figure out what kind of goals are you going to have in place and what's your mission back at home. So we covered a little bit of that. And then um, during the course of the deployment, we've also covered what we felt like were some of the biggest topics that couples wrestle with, families wrestle with, especially while you're apart, but obviously anytime, right? So we've covered parenting in February, we covered intimacy. Um, Last month, we covered communication. That's like the number one request, especially for counseling, um, is communication. Like, how do we better our communication? We covered that last month. So if you were just joining us for the first time, you can, after today, go back and listen and watch um, some of the content that we've already done. You can do that through the dashboard, the USO dashboard, where you maybe had access to registering for today's webinar. Um, I've also put all of this content on the Life Giver podcast, which is my podcast um, for season six. And so you can, if you like to listen and not watch, you can go back and listen to all of the content that we've talked about already. All of those topics are on the Life Giver podcast as well. It's on um, Apple and pretty much any podcasting platform that you use, it's out there. So you can access it there. So you ready, Matt? 
Yeah. The views expressed are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or the United States government. There you go. There you go. We, um, I need we to are, have that on the back of my phone. You do. You do. Yeah. We are really excited to spend some time with you guys today. This is a very big topic, and it's one that we see um, come up for a lot of couples, especially when you're spending time apart, especially mm -hmm. when as military couples, there's a lot of your marriage that is spent apart. Um, I would say on average, um, with a lot of the couples that I've worked with, there, there are many that have spent half of their marriage years, if you will, apart and half together. And um, I just want to say that in our community, um, that's more normal than not. It may not make you feel better about it, but um, sometimes I think that we have to um, stop comparing our relationships with those that are civilian marriages and just kind of look at this is our marriage. This is kind of what we are going through and how do we build the strongest connection possible with um, the lifestyle that we have instead of kind of looking out the window or across the street and comparing ours to somewhat other couple that's maybe not spending any time apart. And so there are definite um, topics and issues that are really important for us to cover when it comes to what does it mean to have a strong military marriage and a strong military military family. And we knew that this topic, which we see all the time coming into our offices, is definitely a topic that we needed to address. And so I think to start off, Matt, maybe before we jump into such a heavy topic, maybe we just kind of share a little bit of an update of kind of what's happened in the last month or so. It kind of, to me, feels like Groundhog Day. Um, and yeah. in the last month, it's like, did did anything big happen in the last month? I'm not really sure. Um I know last time we talked, I shared some um, that I had kind of had a little bit, a little bit of a breast cancer scare there. And we talked about communication and the struggles for communicating through when you feel like one, one half of your family, one half of your marriage is going through something significant while you're apart and mm -hmm. watching that and not really being part of it, but you really feel the distance there. So we talked about that a little bit last time, but is there any mm -hmm. update that you could share on things that have been on your mind in the last month? No, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about it very much as Groundhog Day. It so it's just, I mean, there's constant like um, uh, things just constantly change. And so it's constantly being trying to get used to change um, and the, you know, trying to deal with a lack of predictability and, uh, and, and responsive. And it reminds me of the first deployment where there was there wasn't so much change as there were um for us there was it was a combat it was, it was a substantial combat deployment so there was a lot of reacting to contact so after a while of having that and i think you experienced this back at home too when you're constantly having to react to things um you're just exhausted like it just wears out your brain it wears out your spirit your soul just gets weary and so you're just like you know, you have to try and figure out a way to to limit those those factors that you have to immediately plan around. Um, so yeah, it just becomes exhausting after a while, and uh, and you quickly make you make uh, you make quick decisions about people and things that you um, allow into your life that uh, that can like influence or impact that. So yeah, yeah. and I. And that may be where you're coming from, but I think he's also probably describing me a little bit too. But I, I mean, I think it's actually a genuine, um, a genuine answer of when you get to this marker in your relationships. But I, I do think going back to what you were saying, Matt, that I think mm -hmm. that when you reach this point in, in a, 
in a deployment, especially or a long-term military initiated separation that at first, you know, you kind of start off with all this emotion and all this like um, intentionality, hopefully, and all this goal setting and all Mm -hmm. this like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to grow. And here's what we're, you know, and so there starts off with this, a lot of energy and then like Mm kind of do get into a battle rhythm, which is good. I think everybody Mm -hmm. needs structure and routine and a battle rhythm where we kind of like, we're going to lose our mind if there isn't some sort of rhythm and new normal established. But then I think that it does get to this kind of like tiring, exhausting place, Um, especially if you know that that time has kind of come to an end soon where it does become Mm -hmm. Groundhog Day. The new normal becomes your new structure, your new routine, but it's not your ideal normal routine and structure that you actually want in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to spend this time apart. We don't want to be apart from our family members. You don't want to be missing out on things or watching your family go through difficult things. And so the Mm -hmm. new normal that you had established to bring some level of peace in your life, I think does become exhausting Mm -hmm. because it's not the new normal is not what you want. You want to go back to like the familiar, the familiar and the, um, so I think that's, well, you miss convenience. You miss the things that are at some point you're just, you know, you develop a battle rhythm and you're like, I got to do all these things in this step, in this order and not forget one step in the, in the process. And then after a while you have to become so mindful and deliberate with everything you do. Uh, that after a while, you're just like, you know what, just being so deliberate, it it does, it, it wears on you real quick. Yeah. So. And um, a couple of things that we had decided to do to stay connected. So just to kind of quickly revisit some of the goals that we had set. Um, we had Matt came up with this amazing idea to use the, again, we, we don't get anything from this. This is just the tool that we're using, but people ask us about it all the time during the series. Um, we've been using the day one journal app, um, to Mm -hmm. journal to each other each day. So we log in under the same username and password. Uh, there you go. And then, um, And then like when he wakes up in the morning, he writes, you know, while I'm asleep, he's writing a journal entry to me. And then before I go to bed, um, I'm journaling something to him. And, um, and so it's been a great way for us to connect Mm -hmm. last time. I didn't bring it upstairs here to show you this time, but last time, um, I showed you how the day one, you can actually print off all of your journal entries into a bound book. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's something that we're looking forward to doing. Although there are some days that I'm journaling things that I'm like, I don't know if I want this in print form. (laughs) So like numbers exhausted I am. Tomorrow is, uh, so we've been doing it for 130 days. Tomorrow is the 128th day streak. So we've done it for 128 days straight. And we have have 251 journal entries together and 348 pieces of uh, like, what do you call it? Media, whether that's a funny GIF or a picture or whatever. So. Yeah. And I just want to say about that, because some of some of you might going, wow, that's a great idea. And somebody else might going, I could not do that. You know, and I just want to say there's, I think, a in the middle, right? There yeah. is, mm-hmm. um, it is a it is a commitment. And um, there have been a couple days in there that I was just too tired to do it. And he was like, you know what I'd really like is just a video from you. Like, just like talk to me instead of writing. And so there was mm-hmm. a grace in there. Um, but it really, I think has been something that we really wanted to do. And no matter whether we felt like it or not, um, it's been one of those things that like, this is our communication to each other and this is what we wanted to do. And so I personally appreciate 
the discipline of doing that each day. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so for example, yesterday, there's been several times actually that I could have gone into the journal and just kind of listed out all the things that I was frustrated with and use it as almost like a personal negativity mind dump, you know, and what I've learned, um, through this process of journaling is, well, first of all, you've mentioned this several times, Matt, where you've written something and deleted it and how that's helpful for an extrovert. I think for me, what one of the things, takeaways that I have is I had the choice to write something negative, not towards you, but just kind of like talking about my day, like you're my person, you know? And, and instead of doing that, I was like, you know what, this is going to be in print. And do I really want to look back and remember all of that angst? Is that what I want to revisit? And so instead I found myself turning those days into, instead of going into all that, I'm just going to list out what I'm grateful for. Like what did go right today? And, and that's been a huge learning thing for me. That's been really helpful. So do you want to share what's been helpful for you? No, just the part of being able to kind of get out your crappy first draft mm-hmm. and then be able to go, okay, I got that out. I did that brain dump. And I mean, for me, schedule wise, I come in, I drink coffee, I write in the journal, I go grab chow, write at 7.30 and then I'll come back and, and like relook at what I've written and then add something to it. Something maybe I thought of when I was having breakfast So I take a a significant amount of time in the morning to try and craft those things, not just for future when we look at it, but also with the mindset of what am I going to say that will hopefully set the conditions for your day? You know, how do I want you to begin your day? And if there's a way that I can influence or shape that, um, that's important. Do you want to start? I mean, we probably need to jump in. Yes, we we do need to jump in to the topic. And I know that's why you guys are here is to less hear about us, but, and more about the topic. So we are going to jump into this topic because it's a big topic. It's a topic we usually get a lot of questions on, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time to cover it. And that is the topic of restoring trust and, um, and rebuilding your marriage after wounds. And so, um, experiencing wounds in your marriage is, um, Often the topic that comes into the counseling office, especially after there's already damage that's been done, after there's been a lot of distance created in your relationship. And it's like, now what do we do? Like, how do we, can we restore it? How do we restore it? Um, often I get the question of, is this relationship even worth saving? How much, how many wounds is, is the magic number of wounds before it's like too far gone to save? And so these are all questions that um, are, I don't want to say normal, but they, they come up a lot. They come up a lot. And so um, I wanted Matt to kind of start off with kind of talking a little bit about like, we've been married 22 years. I'm yeah. starting to round forward now. So is it 22 or 23? Like I know we're approaching 22 this year. 22. Yeah. I start rounding, yeah. like moving forward and saying it's wow. almost 22. Um, Let's speed it up. But yeah, right. But like, I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of the hard work that we've put in over the years. But 22 years is is at least long enough to kind of have those um, those valleys and mountains in our own relationship and understanding what it's like to go through tough seasons, to go through great seasons, um, easier seasons and more difficult seasons. And so um, I think, you know, what we wanted to start off with is that is the fact that wounds are going to happen in marriage because you married imperfect people. So Matt, I was going to let you kind of start with that. We starting with the small infractions or. Yeah, I think we could go into that, but like just that, what is, what would you say, what have you learned, whether it's from us or Mm -hmm. in counseling other people, as far as 
um, the fact that we're married to human beings? Well, I'll start with this. This may be like, I'm going to back it up and then bring it forward. Um, one of my favorite phrases is, uh, no man walks into the same river twice for the river has changed. And so is the man. And I think that applies both to men and women, um, or however an individual identifies, um, no person walks into the same river, uh, twice. And so when I look at marriages, you know, you have two people that are the product of families of origin. And even if they come from the exact same family of origin, they're not going to have the same response because, you know, down to a cellular biological level, I mean, even if they had the exact same nurture experience, they're not the exact same person. So they're not even going to respond the same way. So when you take the variables of different families of origin and two different people responding in the way that they are discovering how to trust the world, how to experience the world, uh, the assumptions that they're making, um, the self-confidence they have as they move through it, um, inevitably, you're going to have two distinct humans that come together with a different worldview. They're going to come together with a different ability to trust or different reasons to trust or what they're looking for. Um, you know, we all get married or we get into relationships sometimes to try and fix or try and fill the empty places in our life. And there's nothing hugely wrong with that so long as we're not trying to like totally, you know, uh, set our, our, our self-esteem or our self-concept uh, based uh, solely on how another person treats us. But when we're trying to fill in those empty places, we go to another person who may not know how to do that or may not know how to do that well. Um, but the interesting thing about when you finally decide, okay, I want to do the rest of my life with you in marriage is you're both making a contract to say, okay, I'm going to try and commit to loving you that way. And I think there's, there are stages to marriage. In the first early stages, you just want to try and find the happiness that you did and you experienced when you were dating. And then eventually you realize that happiness was a very initial one. And there's a deeper level of connection and contentment that you find in marriage. Um, and hopefully people get to what I think is like the best stage to be at where you're living for the other person. Mm. And not like in a, a totally self-dissolved way, I don't exist and my needs and my wants don't matter, but you're really focused on how do I um, help the other person feel loved? How do I help them feel like they are of immeasurable eternal worth and great value? Um, so you're not solely in it for just your own reasons and for what you're getting out of it, but for what you can give to it. And I think it's a it's a mature perspective to realize. But as that as that entire process goes on, there are battles. There are um, ways that both people mess up. You know, there are you know I know early on for for our marriage there were the the insecurities that I was having, frustrations in the jobs I was working at before I came into the army, and I was bringing the wrong questions to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know that I really should have been bringing to the job. You know that the vocation would have asked for me. And in the process, I had a lot of small infractions and large infractions because I was feeling that kind of existential angst of who am I in the world and what difference do I make? And um, and I would take that out on you and, and, and ask you to, to be something that you couldn't be in that moment. Um, and so naturally, when you have those gaps that you're trying to fill and experience the world and trying to figure out who you are in the world, uh, the person closest to you is going to feel the kind of the, the elbows out as you're trying to muscle your way through the world. Um, 
and you don't mean to do that. It's just kind of the way that you you're trying to fumble through the world as a human. And so first off, what I'd say is uh, if I'm going to sum everything up is we all mess up. We all have faults and flaws, uh, things we inherited, things we chose to do, things that are beyond our choice that are naturally just we're predisposed to. And um, we should always have the goal of giving grace to the other person as they grow and mature, and then also being graceful with ourselves. but in a marriage, challenging one another to continually grow in that process. Yeah. And, um, is that too much to say no, a lot? I spoke a lot. That's why I didn't interrupt. It was so great. And so mm-hmm. to answer Autumn's question, she's mm-hmm. asking for a little bit more on your background. So Matt is a oh. chaplain and he also oh, had yeah. um, an education in counseling, um, yeah. did his internships with, um, some really building great into my marriages. Yeah. Building with into Mike Seitzma and Doug Rosenau. Yeah. And, you know, just fun fact, like y'all are going to think that this is like super nerdy, but like our first date, we kind of knew of each other. We were in the same circle in college. Um, but one of not our first date, but one of our more like intentional dates that we went on, um, was like sitting at a restaurant and we, I think we asked each other, like, what do you see yourself doing? you know, in life. And we both had the same vision of doing some sort of marriage work, um, that it was, um, healing families and healing marriages was something that we was both kind of on our heart. And so we bonded, I think, especially over that among other things. And a lot of things that we have in common, a lot of our background and upbringing was, was very similar, I would say, um, same age and all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's a little bit about his background. And then, yes, I'm, um, a licensed professional counselor. And so we've devoted our careers really to especially service families. Matt's dad is a retired police officer. And so he kind of grew up in a service home. My dad was, um, a reserves air force pilot, although I didn't have a huge experience in the military growing up. So that's a little quick, quick little bit of tidbit. So I think, there you go. So then going, going back to what you were just saying, um, I, I absolutely agree, obviously. And so I, I agree that we kind of bring in this expectation. Um, I think, you know, we don't mean to, but like everybody talks about in the first season of marriage, like the biggest issues in your marriage are expectations of marriage and expectations of each other. And do you know what those expectations are? Are you communicating that to the other person? Are you sharing that so that they know how to win, you know, and know, um, know how to meet those expectations. And so a lot of the rough stuff in the beginning, is like, is that expectation something that can be met or is it something we're bringing from our childhood? And that's why, I mean, I'm all for counseling and therapy. It's why I became a counselor. I have been to counseling before, probably will go back um, because it does help you really process those things and Mm -hmm. figure out where, where am I, what are the questions that I'm bringing to my relationship and where are those questions coming from? And are they Mm -hmm. the appropriate question to ask or bring to them? So Mm -hmm. But then I think very soon into the relationship, you know, because you are married to a human being and that person is flawed, they're not going to get it right all the time. They're not going to be perfect. They're not a superhero. And so when they do drop the ball or they didn't realize that was an expectation you had, and it could be something very small um, that you feel that initial dis- disappointment, or I didn't think that you wouldn't, you, that you wouldn't express your care for me that way, or that, mm-hmm. um, that you would hurt me in that way, or you wouldn't be thoughtful in that way, or that you wouldn't have put yourself in my shoes and considered my feelings or whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And now we have to start dealing with the question of what do I do in my mind with what I believe about people and whether or not they are mm-hmm. flawed. And what do I do when I am in relationship with a flawed person? Um, how mm-hmm. do I reconcile the fact that 
that I myself am a flawed person and that I mm -hmm. might today or the very next day get it wrong too um, mm -hmm. and start to kind of wrestle with that. And then I think that we then have to kind of enter into this place of um, it, once we embrace that we're married to a flawed person, then we have to start talking about all right, what are those different kinds of hurts that can happen? What are the rules for our relationship? What are boundaries in our relationship, which is so important and not something that most people talk about, cover mm -hmm. or address, especially in premarital counseling. And so a lot of people get into marriage, not knowing what their marriage rules are or articulating those. We just assume that we all have the same rules. Yeah, go ahead. I think you don't find out the rules and the boundaries. You don't know you have them. So they're unspoken. Same way with expectations, expectations, rules, and boundaries. They're totally unspoken when you start off. And it's only when people start to run over them or violate them that you're like, oh my gosh, like, why would you do that? So I never remember when we were growing, you know, when we were growing up, uh, 22 we were, years, we were growing up, we were growing up in marriage. Um, the first year I kept thinking that it was, I mean, because of my family of origin, that when it, when you go to bed, both people go to bed, Right. And from your family of origin, it's like, no. And so you were feeling smothered. And I was like, no, I just, I'm hanging out with you. That's what married people do, right? Like you're going to bed. I'm going to bed. Let's turn the TV off and just go to bed, right? You know, or, hey, let's go uh, antique shopping or whatever. You know, that's what married people do. That's what I've seen. And so you start off initially either imitating or trying to do the exact opposite, depending on your response. And it's, it's when you begin to violate those expectations, rules, and boundaries that the other person then feels like, whoa, whoa, hey, wait a minute. You're not who I thought I married. Like, what in the world? And you realize, oh, wow, I I knew so very little about you when I decided to commit the rest of my life to you. Mm -hmm. So let's. So then you have to decide at that moment whether or not you want to grow and move forward. And you have to make choices mm -hmm. um, to meet the other person's expectation. Well, first off, to talk about it, whether it's realistic. Um, and what their rules and their boundaries are, and then to decide to meet them um, or where you can and where you can't, uh, you know, where you can't compromise, you you collaborate kind of thing. So, okay, so yeah. I have a fun little experiment that I want to bring like the chat thread in on this. Okay, I remember mm -hmm. everybody get ready, make sure you're listening. Okay, because I'm going to ask for the answer in the chat thread. Right, I remember the very first argument Matt and I had married. Very first argument. Do you remember what it was? Okay. Okay. <laughs> You'll love this. Okay. Was the it, very first argument we were. Was it that you? No, wait. Cooked the green. You didn't cook the green beans long enough. No, no, no. That was probably the second, <laughs> but yeah. it is attached to food because we were both brought up in the South. I'm from Georgia. He's from South Carolina. Oh yeah. So yeah. how many of you guys have ever had banana pudding, right? Banana mm -hmm. pudding that I know sounds so good right now. It's one of my favorite desserts, banana pudding, the ones that have the Nilla wafers in it and the banana. Okay. now it's coming in. Everybody's like, heck yeah. Okay. All right. Here was our very first argument because it, I think it's really good. <laughs> Do you see the chat thread? It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Now the chat thread is going. We just had to mention dessert. Okay, here you go. Here was our first. Is that going to be the topic for May? Okay, here is the argument. You guys ready? And I think this shows expectations and rules, and you don't even realize what you bring into the relationship. Our first argument was, because we both wanted banana pudding, and we were going to make it in our cute little apartment, should banana pudding be served warm or cold? Is banana pudding 
Warm or cold? No way. No way. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> I love this. Everybody's saying cold. Oh, y'all, this is 22 years of redemption for me right now. Look at that, Matt. Warm would be a sin, it says. Oh, my gosh. Maybe. Okay. So our first, okay, let me tell you guys, and then we're okay, going to move stop. on to this topic. Stop. How many of y'all have had warm banana pudding? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't even ask. <laughs> okay. Ask. This is why this is so important, because we had two totally that's different- what i'm talking about brett that's what i'm talking about brandon willing to try willing to try willing to try okay mm -hmm. here's okay i'm gonna use this as you gotta a lesson put a learned. toasted meringue and you can't put a toasted meringue that on top true. of cold banana pudding that's true okay Don't so talk to me about it I want us to break this down and then we're going to get into the topic. I think this is super important because you don't realize these kind of structural kind of rules and things that are important to you when you first come into a relationship. And so my whole experience was enjoying this thing, this dessert cold. That's all I had ever known. His mom is like the most amazing Southern cook ever. She mm -hmm. had her own restaurant, y'all, in South Carolina. So when he suddenly said, like, you have to serve it warm, he had no doubt had a wonderful experience of, I'm talking banana pudding with meringue on top, like, like really well done. Like, mm -hmm. like she probably made that pudding from scratch. It was not the jello pudding mix, right? And so he had a completely different experience of that growing up. And we got into such an argument over this. We made the mistake of calling our mothers. We made the mistake. We brought the mothers into it. Yes. We brought the mothers into it. We were like, what's the answer? And they did the exact same thing that you guys did. They validated their own personal experience because they didn't want to be a part of what's, no, the restaurant's not open, but you can look up now warm banana pudding and make it and you'll, you'll love it. And cause here's the thing. Once I tried it, once I had mm -hmm. his experience, it wasn't that I was never willing to have cold banana pudding again. It just means my palate opened, my experience opened, my perspective opened a little bit. And it was like, you know what? I can see why you like warm banana pudding. So here's the thing. I think that's just kind of proving the point that we come in with a different set of rules. And often you don't know what those are until you bump into them. Something happens, an argument happened, hurts happen. And then we have to talk about like, well, what, what do we believe as a couple? What is it that we are going to stand on when it comes to the bigger rules and values within our relationships? <laughs> I love that you guys are still going in the chat. Okay. All right. That's a very funny kind of, you know, silly example here. But when it comes to actual hurts in your relationships, hurts can be mm -hmm. a big deal and it can cause a lot of disruption in your relationship, a lot of disruption in your intimacy. And I'm not making a joke about that at all. We see couples that go through a lot of what we call a death of a thousand cuts of lots of small, what we call small infractions. And so you have a listening guide. If you didn't download that, you can get it later. You can go back to your email and open it up. Mm -hmm. um, but a couple of examples of small infractions, so little hurts that can happen. And I gave you some examples. Sometimes it can be misunderstandings, these things that happen on accident. Like you didn't know that this was something really meaningful to me and you weren't thoughtful of my feelings. And, and I wish you would have known, or I wish you would have made a different choice. Or sometimes we have these small infractions that happen that are not intentional. They're kind of accidental misunderstandings. Or if you just would have helped me understand it ahead of time, maybe I wouldn't have made that same decision, but it still hurts and it still hurts the relationship. Um, 
we put unplugging from family during key moments. And, you know, this is a big deal because phones and devices are becoming a huge mm -hmm. issue for couples, right? Like just when you have time together and everybody's on their phones, after a while, it becomes mm -hmm. kind of that death of a thousand cuts or a perpetual, what we call a perpetual issue. One of those issues, it's not going away. It keeps happening. It's something that keeps mm -hmm. popping up. And it's like this, each isolated incident really isn't that huge of a deal, but like when it keeps happening, it becomes this cumulative snowball effect that now we're really getting hurt and frustrated that you're always unplugged. Matt, go ahead. So one of the things that I'll speak to, and it's usually male service members. So, I mean, but it can be anybody, anybody can really kind of be a gamer. Like one of the, the big things that I do see and I've seen for the better part of a decade is, um, uh, like completely dissolving into video games. And there's a time and a place for it. So like, that's one of the ways that I connect with my teenage sons. We either play like, we're like on Marvel Avengers or Sea of Thieves or Minecraft, um, <clears throat> playing or doing whatever on that. So there's, there's a time and a place for it, but the, but constantly going to that place and ignoring the family and, and checking out, it says a couple things. It's like, you're, you know, number one, it says my needs are more important than anybody else's needs in this house. And that's not a message anybody ever needs to send or receive. Um, there are, there's a time and a place to say, Hey, I just need like 30 minutes to like unplug or unwind or do X, Y, and Z. And then to have that timer and to be able to set that expectation. Um, so that when you do plug back into the family and I'm mentioning this specifically, cause I see this specifically, and I think you've talked about it too is that when you set that timer, you abide by that timer, and then you replug back into the family, then it says you can trust me. And that's one of the things we're talking about here tonight is trust. And so trust is actually, you know, we say it's doing the right thing for the right reason for a really long time. Um, I like saying do the right thing for the right reason, the right way for a really long time. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's four rights. And that sounds a little bit rough, but it's, you know, you work towards that. But when you when you create a rule, you abide by the rule and you hold yourself to that rule, you're telling the other person, I'm a trustworthy person. Like what I say, I will do. And if I say I'm going to do it and I do it, then you know that I am, it's the way that people communicate love and value to another person, to abide by their word. Mm -hmm. And, you know, growing up, uh, most, and I'll say this, most, most, um, most men here, you know, your word is your bond. and so. If you're, you know, if your word's not good, then nothing's good, you know? And so to be able to say, hey, I'm going to, I may need this time to unplug, but then I'm going to plug back in. You hold yourself to that standard, the egg timer dings, and you shut it off and you, you go back in to, to do that. So it's not saying you unplug from the fam, you never unplug from the family or you never take time for yourself. It's, you don't always put yourself first. You know, if I'm coming home and say, I need to unplug, one of the first things I also need to look at you and go, but what do you need? You know, because mm -hmm. it's two people in a relationship. I'm not just here to get my own needs met. What do you need and, and who can I be for you? So it's that given that take. And it's also going back to like, you know, this um, speed of trust with Franklin Covey. It's speaking clearly, speaking plain, speaking with transparency and talking straight. Yeah. yeah. So I know I, was, I tried, kept trying to say that and trying to figure out what the right two words were. I always but. stumble on that one too. And so, um, when it comes to these small infractions, like 
Yeah. And I have a question that I'm going to post to um, that I'm going to address those of you who are listening. And, and again, I want to see what your answers are in the chat here, because um, I think it's a really important question I just thought of. Um, but before I ask it, I want to make sure we cover what large infractions are. And some, you know, when we say small infractions, I'm talking about the things that, you know, we should be able to recover from. They're like these little cuts, like, and, and most of the time they're going to be on accident or be neglectful or um, disappointments that are happening. Whereas your large infractions are probably the ones that you guys are thinking of things like betrayal, whether that's sexual betrayal. Um, I include in this category, digital betrayal, because even though it's not maybe um, physical infidelity, there's a lot of digital betrayal that's happening out there with pornography or sexting or looking at things online um, that is betrayal, financial sure. betrayal. And right. also um, going back to old, old yeah. people, old places, old things. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't have to all the way be into something sexual. It can very much be emotional. So emotional. people that are plugging back into former relationships because they're not getting their emotional needs met in the current relationship. Or new ones. Only to find out, yeah, or new ones where they're they're pursuing, trying to find their worth in something um, because they're not getting their emotional needs met at home. Yeah. And so there can be lots of different kinds of betrayal um, that can happen in a relationship. It's not always just infidelity. Um, I think, you know, I've seen in my counseling practice a lot of different versions of betrayal. Um, lying and deceiving or hiding information is, um, we have included that as a large infraction. And I think some people like, is that a small or is that a large? And I think when it, when it comes down to it, um, lying is something that like, if it's like a, a genuine like mis misunderstanding or mistake or something like that, um, then maybe that's a small infraction. But when it comes down to like purposefully deceiving and hiding information and um, overtly lying about something in your relationship, that comes from a place of uh, difference in values of that comes back to those rules in a relationship. And so when you have one person that is choosing to, I had a conversation with a couple of like a couple talking about was lying by omission, like just not including all the information is that considered lying. Um, and so I also want to get to um, that it can be a disregard for boundaries. So if you're trying to set good boundaries in your relationship and somebody just isn't caring about that or keeps pushing the envelope on those boundaries or isn't honoring your boundaries, and we'll get to more on boundaries here in a second, but that can be a large infraction. Um, if there's no remorse, if there's no accepting of responsibility for the infractions that you've done, that is extremely hurtful. And it keeps you in a relationship where you try to set boundaries, but that hurt is there. Um, it's a deep wounding because you can't move forward until there is a humility there and a willingness to admit wrong and growth that's behind that. And so when somebody is unwilling to express that humility and own that wrongful doing, then um, that can be a large infraction to someone else. So here's my yeah. question. And then I want you to talk while they're giving the answer, Matt. Um, here's yeah. the question I want to ask everybody listening in the chat. Who gets to decide whether it is a small infraction or a large infraction in the relationship? Who gets to decide? Go ahead. What were you going to say, Matt? Oh, when you were saying about expressing remorse, <clears throat> I think one of the key things is in order to express remorse, you don't have to feel what the other person is feeling yet. Hopefully you will get there over time. You can, because some people have different degrees of empathy. So they may not understand the depth to which the other person was hurt, 
but you have to be willing to be willing. Um, and in that, I mean, you've got to be able to go, okay, I don't fully understand why that was an infraction, um, but I'm willing to, to see what that is, you know, and, and to not stand the ground and say, you know, the obstinance that you, you know, we've sometimes heard from other people in counseling sessions, which is, you know, I don't know why you're upset by that. You should just get over that. Why is that such a big deal to you? What's the big problem? I don't understand it. I don't see why you're, I don't see why that impacts you. And all those are cuts because what it's saying is, is I'm not willing to listen why that's important to you. Mm-hmm. And going back to family of origin, those go back to like our very deep seated needs that we had growing up that we're trying to get met in a current relationship. Mm-hmm. So if they're not getting met and somebody's just like, oh, I don't see why that's important to you. That shouldn't be important. You should just get over that. That, that shouldn't matter to you. What they're saying is, is your needs don't matter. Your personhood doesn't matter. The questions that you have that you're trying to ask. Now, they may not always be healthy questions either, which is why it's great to talk with a therapist, because not all the questions that we bring to a relationship are healthy questions that need to be answered the way that we're expecting them to be answered. So there's a give and take in there. But the person that created the infraction, when you feel hurt, when you feel wounded, when you feel wrong, uh, or somebody has broken trust, the other person, it is incumbent on them to be able to, to say, okay, I don't fully understand. And this is usually just with small infractions. I don't fully understand why it impacted you, but I'm willing to see things from your point of view. Help me see what you see. Help me understand why that mattered to you. And then as you talk and you open up, you begin to, to understand one another better. No, I would say that it's, I think that's been one of the biggest growth areas in our relationship is that I I remember Mm -hmm. for years, we kind of had this like debate going on of whether or not intentions mattered. Like I didn't intend to hurt you. So doesn't that matter? And, and I I would say, you know, I recognize within myself some growth in that because I so deeply wanted you to see, well, I wasn't trying to hurt you and I wasn't trying to this or that. And I think it took me a long time to go it's not working for to me for me to argue my intention. It does matter at some point in the process of just showing you I'm not like intentionally being a hurtful person, but I think a huge mm-hmm. growth moment for me was to go, I'm going to set that argument aside and just listen to what you're saying and mm-hmm. and own the fact that you personally are hurt because if I start expressing my own intentions behind it and what I was trying to do or wasn't trying to do or whatever, I'm making the conversation about myself instead of listening mm-hmm. to the hurt or the feelings that you're trying to express to me and bring to me and let you be the focus of the conversation. And then if we circle back eventually to what my intentions were, because sometimes expressing your intentions after that apology, after you've met the needs of the other person, there is room to sometimes be able to talk about intentions, but you can't do both of those at the same time. You can't. I think whenever, yeah, I think whenever somebody, whenever we have hurt one another in the, in the marriage, it's disappointed ourselves. Yeah. So when I've hurt you or you've hurt your, you've hurt me, we disappoint ourselves because it's not the ideal self that we want to be or who we, who we're trying to choose to be. And it become and it can become very tempting to want to look inwardly and go, well, who am I? Like, what's wrong with me? What happened to me? What did I just do? You know? And in that moment, we're making it about ourselves, which there will come a time and a place where we need to have that introspection. But in that one moment, we need to be able to have the, the, you know, the adult courage to stand up under the weight of the fact that we've disappointed the other person. 
And we find that if we can deal with, uh, if we can sit in the pocket of having hurt the other person with an infraction and then move forward and listen to the other person, listen to their hurt, take that in, validate it, and then decide to move on, we've actually really patched up the wound much more fast than if we try and defend or deflect or explain, or we're trying to backpedal. We feel like, oh, well, let me just, let me try and put a pressure dressing on it. Just stop the bleeding. And you're like, no, 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 I need you to, I need you to see this. I need you to understand it for these reasons. And when the person does and they're like, oh, wow, you're like, okay, now I feel seen. Because the overall goal in marriage is for somebody to see us for who we are and still love us. Mm -hmm. uh, challenge us to continue to get better. But, um, but that's that, that sense of like, we can't have real growth if we don't have real vulnerability. Next time on the Life Giver Podcast. If it's yes. a long-term pattern of behavior and it's still ongoing, there's no remorse. Yes. Remorse indicates I've stopped the behavior. I hated the way that I was and I want to do something differently. And so the way that that goes about, the way that we repair the trust cup is the behavior has stopped. They've expressed remorse. They may not fully understand it from the, the weight of the experience of the person that's been wounded, but they're willing to, over time, understand that more in depth. But they've also asked, what do I need to do to repair trust? Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or LifeGiver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.
Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.